0: Welcome to Sound Bites in Modern Art. This is Dr. Jean Willett. I'm an art historian and art critic who specializes in modern and contemporary art and theory. And I am the author of these podcasts. Welcome to Sound Bites in Modern Art. This is Dr. Jean Willett. I'm an art historian and art critic who specializes in modern and contemporary art and theory. And I am the author of these podcasts. If Princess Diana was the people's princess, Norman Rockwell was the people's artist. He showed America to itself and never more than during the Second World War and post-war period. After decades of romanticizing a vision of America of the past, Rockwell turned and faced the traumatic reality of a world dragged into a war by a mass murderer. But Rockwell would never have allowed Adolf Hitler to invade the American consciousness. The heroes of Norman Rockwell's war were the American people. Stephen Ambrose, the war historian, often wrote of the civilian army, a military composed of ordinary men and women who responded to the call of duty. The most ordinary of these citizens was Rockwell's invented soldier, that every man. Willie Gillis. Named at the suggestion of his wife, Mary, after a character in a children's book, Wee Gillis, Willie Gillis grew up during the war in his starring role in 11 post covers. Late November, two weeks before Pearl Harbor, Willie Gillis has already joined the military and was home on leave, sleeping late. At first, Willie stays in the States, training for the war that had come. In February 1942, he visits the USO. In April, he pauses in his kitchen or KP duties to read the news of the war. In June, he reviews rules for the blackout. And in July, a sobered Willie sits quietly in a church pew. In September... The young soldier acquired female admirers who competed for him. By the second year of the war, 1943, Willie has been shipped overseas, where in June he meets a North African. Rockwell's model for Willie left Vermont and joined up, and Willie reappears January and September of 1944 only in photographs We don't see Willie again until October 1946 when a grown-up Willie is in his first year in college thanks to the G.I. Bill. We are relieved to see him safe and are amused to see that like his creator, Norman Rockwell, Willie smokes a pipe. Willie is not Rockwell's only soldier and some of his depictions are quite moving. Among the first to come home from the European theater is the young paratrooper, who is reunited with his family that is living in an apartment building in the city. His brother and sister and his dog rush to him. His mother stretches her arms open wide like wings, while his girlfriend respectfully waits her turn. In October 1945, the war now over, An audience of men and young boys in a small town gather around a baby-faced soldier holding a Japanese flag. They lean forward eagerly, waiting for stories of the war. One of the most difficult covers for Rockwell to produce, indeed it took him two tries, was that of a soldier home in time for Thanksgiving to peel potatoes with his mother. The pair, surrounded by bounty, are older people, a mother well past middle age and her middle aged son, reminding readers that all able bodied men were mobilized. Touchingly, he poses like he is still her little boy, sitting in a chair with rungs, and like a child, his feet are on the railings. The headline on the banner above reads, What Will Bradley, referring to General Omar Bradley, do for the veterans. We know today that the veterans did very well for themselves, GI bills for college and home loans, government programs that created the American middle class in post-war America. But we also know that these men kept the war to themselves, a silence punctuated by nightmares and numbed by alcoholism that was not broken until Tom Hanks's Saving Private Ryan showed war like it was, sort of. One has only to peruse wartime issues of Life magazine to realize how completely Rockwell shielded his post readers. Life published Margaret Bourke-White's photographs of Buchenwald and even Vogue published Lee Miller's pictures of Dachau. From a modern perspective, we are acutely aware of who and what is absent in Rockwell's art. No American soldiers of color appear. That would be against the policy of the post. And despite the irreplaceable contributions by women in the military and in the factories without whom the war could not have been fought, women in wartime women in wartime service appear only twice. The least known is a painting of a woman in a flag outfit striped pants, stars on her shirt, striding along, toting all the many tools of the many trades she had taken up as of September 1943. But the most immortal woman in American history was created by Rockwell in May 1943, Rosie the Riveter, Based on Michelangelo's prophet Isaiah on the Sistine ceiling, Rosie is a magnificent riveter with her rivet gun resting casually across her lap. While Rosie, clad in overalls, safety glasses pulled up to her forehead, eats a sandwich on her lunch break. Rosie is sublimely indifferent to male chauvinism and to any German who dares to cross her path her feet west remorselessly upon a copy of Mein Kampf. Unlike Rockwell's scenic approach of film production, Rosie is regally alone. The only background is a large fragment of the American flag. She became an icon, not just of strong women, but also of the determined wartime militarization and participation of the American people. Perhaps Rockwell's most famous wartime images, The Four Freedoms, are also icons, a series that the American government rejected and the Saturday Evening Post produced. The Four Freedoms originated in a speech given to the American people by President Franklin Delano Roosevelt in January 1941. Supportive of England's struggle against the Nazis, America was nevertheless reluctant to enter into yet another European war. But FDR wanted to tell the Americans what being an American meant. Roosevelt said, quote, In the future days which we seek to make secure, we look forward to a world founded upon four essential freedoms. The first is freedom of speech and expression everywhere in the world. The second is freedom of every person to worship God in his own way everywhere in the world. The third is freedom from want, which translated into world terms means economic understandings, which will secure every nation in a healthy peacetime life for its inhabitants everywhere in the world the fourth freedom is freedom from fear which translated into world terms means a worldwide reduction of armaments to such a point and in such a thorough fashion that no nation will be in a position to commit an act of physical aggression against any neighbor anywhere in the world end quote 11 months later Japan attacked Pearl Harbor. Even when America declared war after Pearl Harbor, December 7th, 1941, the concept of four freedoms seemed vague, fuzzy notions. Norman Rockwell was greatly taken by Roosevelt's speech and thought for months about bringing the freedoms to life. Suddenly, he realized that all around him, the citizens of Arlington, Vermont, isolated, rural, untouched by time or war, were acting out the freedoms. The Rockwell family had moved to Vermont from the upscale, hip New York suburb, New Rochelle, and the sudden change of lifestyle to an isolated farmhouse in an isolated small town was hard on the children, who were used to more sophisticated surroundings. But for their father's purposes, New Rochelle was not America. Arlington, Vermont, would be the source of the four freedoms acted out by the homespun town folk in simple, straightforward dignity. The result of Rockwell's inspiration four preliminary sketches were the right images at the wrong time. The war was still going badly in 1942, and no government agency had the time to deal with Rockwell's generous proposed contribution. Discouraged, he left Washington, D.C. and stopped off in New York City to meet with the new editor of the Post, Ben Hibbs. The Saturday Evening Post was completing a transition from the old to the new, from being on the wrong side of history to standing on the right side of history. The conservative editor Rockwell had worked with for almost 30 years, George Horace Lorimer, was too horrified with Roosevelt's New Deal to continue his work on the magazine. He was replaced in 1936 by an even more conservative editor, Wesley Stout. Stout was forced to resign in 1942 when he published an anti-Semitic article, The Case Against the Jew. The public outrage that followed almost discredited the post and destroyed its reputation. Ben Hibbs took over, redesigned the magazine's masthead and ended the old fashioned oval format for cover art, expanding the images to fit the rectangular pages. It was Hibbs understandably anxious to redeem the magazine who insisted on publishing the Four Freedoms. Suddenly the project was received but it took Rockwell seven months to complete the four paintings. It was Rockwell's practice to send the post oil paintings framed and ready for reproduction and beginning on February 20th 1943 the Four Freedoms were published one a month into the summer, with accompanying essays by Will Durand, historian, Booth Tarkington, novelist, poet, Carlos Bulosan; Stephen Vincent Benet, wrote his last essay for Freedom from Fear, and died the same March day it was published. The paintings were an immediate success and we established The Post as an important and credible magazine. Hibbs reduced the fiction and expanded the war coverage. The American public now understood why we fight. We fight for those very freedoms we take for granted. For 25 cents a print, one could order all four prints and essays, all suitable for framing, Freedom of Speech shows an ordinary man in rural, rough-and-ready working clothes visiting a town hall meeting, saying his peace, speaking his mind. Freedom of Worship is a collection of profile portraits, close-ups of people of all faiths praying, a powerful counterpoint to the ugly article of 1942. The last two are the best-known, but sat uneasily with Europeans who were suffering terrible deprivations. Freedom from fear showed two parents tucking their two children into bed. The father holds a newspaper with headlines of the bombing of London. Freedom from want is still today the most popular, the most famous, and the most reassuring. The scene is a warm family dinner table covered with food. The family, Rockwell's, gathers around eagerly as the housekeeper brings a plump golden turkey to the table. No rationing here. Although it is perhaps less moving than his wartime Thanksgiving post covers, the Freedom from Want poster is timeless. It belongs to the past, the present, the future. The Office of War Information, the OWI, that had originally turned down the paintings, responded to the surge of popularity of the Four Freedoms and used the images to sell war bonds. During the Second World War, the idea of raising taxes on hard-pressed Americans was not popular. But then, neither was fighting the war on credit. Instead, the war was funded through bond drives. Inspired by the Four Freedoms, the Bond Drive of 1943-44 raised over a billion dollars for the war effort. More than any images produced by an artist, the Four Freedoms stand for American values and ideals. After such a successful showing for Rockwell, the triumph of his images was followed by the shock of losing the entire contents of his studio to a fire. His artistic life up to that point was lost in a few hours. It was the end of an era, time to start anew and afresh. With a faith and optimism quite at odds with his depressed and anxious temperament, Rockwell continued to keep the home fires burning and spirits up in America. His post covers and their steadfast faith in the righteousness of America's cause was a counterpoint to the unsparing photojournalism in Life magazine. During the war, there was some censorship, yes, but nothing like today, and the casual, even younger readers were not spared the graphic, grisly, brutal images of war. The writers, connected to OWI, wanted to give Americans the same realistic information from the government as Life magazine, but The OWI was taken over by an emerging new force, advertising. The advertising approach preferred reassurance to realism. Good news to bad. Morale over dark information. Rockwell's approach. When Ben Shahn's poster entitled Nazi Brutality was rejected. The liberal writers of OWI, already under fire from conservatives, resigned en masse. Although not directly involved, Rockwell and his art had become part of an ongoing debate about the role of art and media in society. Should art ever be put in the service of any cause, however well-intentioned, after the war, in the wake of the revelations of the full horrors of the Third Reich, the question of the use of art as propaganda became urgent. Another debate emerged, the public's right to know on two levels. First, news, as opposed to something reassuring. And second, the right to information. At what point does reassurance become obfuscation? And to what extent should the government shield the public from unpalatable sites, no matter how factual. For the art world, there would be no debate, only splintered fractions and divisions among the arts. Advertising moved into its own lucrative corner. Magazine illustration entered into its last decade, the 1950s, before it was swallowed up by television. And fine art separated itself deliberately from the real world, ruling out art as a source or a form of political and social engagement. Where would this maneuvering within the world of visual arts leave Norman Rockwell, America's favorite artist? Tune in, click on, download. Thank you very much.